from you guys. Um, so we are in week three of our series on First John. How many of you guys have been reading First John and, and studying it? Fair number of hands, so that's great. So Pastor Greg started us off on week one, and Christopher followed on week two. And Greg had shared uh, about John. So just a brief recap. John wrote this letter, and Ed was saying today, about 91 years old, right? To forget that. Ed's going to say that next week. I just, I just stole his thunder. Okay, so he's 90. Um, so he, he wrote this letter when he was 90, right? And, and he, he wrote it as an encouragement to the churches, the Christian churches. And as an encouragement, also as instruction, there was a belief called Gnosticism that had infiltrated the church. And he wanted to educate the believers on that. But he also wanted to talk about who Jesus was. So he talked about Jesus being the light and, and that he had seen the light. He touched the light. He knew Jesus. And that we were to live in the light. And when Christopher came up, he said that John was like Grandpa John. And that he reminded him of his grandpa that he wrote this letter and he would just no filter, just boom, 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 hit it and tell you what's going on. And uh, he talked about that we're, our command is to live in Christ and that we are to be the light and to shine the light towards others. So this week, you know, if you want to come up, Karen, we're going to study chapter 2, verses 12 through 29, which is the rest of the chapter. And I've asked my wife, Karen, if she would read the scripture. So if you guys don't mind just standing while we read the word of God, that would be great. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven <clears throat> on account of his name. <clears throat> I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But if you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Is it whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ? Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anything to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. 
If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. All right, you can go home. Wow, that's a lot to digest, isn't it? You know, let's start off with how John switches gears. If you had read this, remember, John didn't put chapter and verse when he wrote it. This was just a letter, a big, long letter. And um, this was the encouragement to, to the church. But he does, he starts off kind of weird. He starts off addressing three groups of people, and then with each one, he gives a little encouragement. And then he does it again, which is just kind of strange. I don't know why. I'd like to ask him. But it says, dear children, fathers, and young men. And most scholars don't think he was actually talking to dear children and fathers and young men. It was more of a spiritual maturity thing as to where you were. But each sentence had this comment. So what I did, I took them together, and and the dear children, the fathers and young men, and I put it together. So if I was John and I just squished it all together and was going to read it to you guys, it might sound more like this. Listen, everyone. I'm writing this letter to all of you because you know the Father and your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. For you people that have been in the faith a long time, you know him who is from the beginning. For those of you who are new to the faith, I'm writing to you because the word of God lives in you and makes you strong and you have overcome the evil one. So John is really good about encouraging you and then dropping a bombshell. And this next little scripture, part of scripture, I think is one of the most powerful parts of the Bible that we have next to the command to love one another. This is just, and I don't like that word bombshell because the news has just like ruined it, but it's a bombshell, all right? So he says this, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. So wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to love? Isn't the whole Bible written about you're supposed to love one another? You're supposed to be kind. But this command says, do not love. So what does that mean? So John's not referring to to the world like the mountains and the sea and all the stuff that you see created because God created that and God said it's good. So he's not referring that to that. So what's he referring to? John's referring to the world's system, which is not run by God. It's run by Satan. Everything about the world system is 180 degrees opposed to God, diametrically opposed to God. And John's saying here that we're not supposed to love anything about the world system. We're just passing through. You were created. You were born by God. You're going to come here. You're going to live in the world for a little while. You're going to die. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to heaven. But we're not spending our eternity on earth. The next verse kind of threw me for a loop because in certain translations it says this, if anyone loves the world, the Father's love is not in them. So I thought, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that God doesn't love me if his love isn't in me? And it doesn't. I like our translation, which means that our love for the Father is not in us, meaning that if we're loving the things of this world, then we're not loving God because you can't do both. In other words, you can't love both systems. So the next piece is critical because John took this little bombshell they dropped on us and he boiled it down to three things. And he said, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So isn't it weird? Why those three things? Why the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Because everything that the world has to offer you and how it appeals to you comes back to one of those three things. 
one of those three categories. And I tried to think of another one. I tried to think of all the traps of this world and come up with another category, and I couldn't. Every single one came back to one of those three things. And John wrote this back in 80 AD as an old man. And when he wrote it, he knew that those three categories go all the way back to the beginning of time. So go back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. When they were tempted by Satan, they were tempted first with the lust of the flesh because he showed them an apple and he said that the woman saw that it was good for food. It would satisfy her appetite. So she succumbed to the lust of the flesh and she ate the apple. He appealed to them on the lust of the eyes because further in the same sentence it says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she ate it, the lust of the eyes. Third was the pride of life. They were tempted to say, he said, if you eat of it, you'll become as wise as God. The pride of life. He appealed to them on those three categories way back in the garden. It started from day one. So you look at this and you go, so how do I know if I'm doing this? How do I know if I'm crossing that boundary, if I'm, you know, doing these three things or not? I mean, I really enjoy a lot of the things of the world. Every time I'm on Amazon, I succumb to the lust of the ice. You know, it's like, what about the wobble wag giggle ball that I bought for my dog? Completely impulse purchase. Saw it, wanted it. What about my cordless leaf blower? Wanted it, saw it, bought it. What about that inflatable pool chair that I wanted? Wanted it, saw it, bought it. I mean, is that bad? Is that bad? How do I know if I'm lusting in my flesh or with my eyes? I mean, does that just mean that I can't look at pornography or look at a woman lustfully? Does that what it means? What about the pride of life? You might be thinking, yeah, but I, I'm proud of some of the things that I've done in life. I'm proud of where I am in my career. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of my ministry. I'm, I'm proud of my marriage, all those things. Am I not supposed to be? I mean, what does that mean? And they're all valid questions. Where's the boundary line, and how do I know if I've crossed it? So what John is trying to get across is this, that, yes, you and I have to operate in this world system And there are a lot of things to enjoy, and there's many useful things. But when these things get in front of God, and our desire for them takes us away from God's will, then we're putting the world system first. So example, if I have a hobby, and I'm taking money that I need to pay my bills to feed my hobby and pay for it, and I'm increasing debt and getting in credit card debt, I'm putting my desire for my hobby in the world's things before God because God's will for me would be to live responsibly. I'm satisfying the lust of the eyes when I have to have the newest phone or the newest car or the newest gadget and I see it and I just gotta have it. And I'm not going to God in prayer first going, should I have this? I'm just buying it. And I'm also satisfying the pride of life if I buy them because I really want others to think more highly of me or I want to impress somebody. That's the pride of life. When I'm willing to push my morals aside and my job to get ahead, because that's just how it's done in our industry. You don't understand. My industry works this way. You have to do it that way, and I push my morals aside. I've put my desire for my career advancement in front of my morals, and that gets between me and God. When I take the second look at the woman jogging, and I adjust my rearview mirror so when I go by here, I can see the other side, I put my desire for to satisfy that lust before my love for God. Yes, women, men do this. There's not a guy who's going to look at their wife right now. Not at all. (laughs) 
But you guys, when we do that, when we just just that mirror, we take that second glance as we go by, you're putting your desire to satisfy that instant lust between you and God. When you're married and you have no reason to go down that grocery store aisle, but to encounter the person of the opposite sex coming the other way on a hope and a chance encounter, that's putting your desire to satisfy that lust of the flesh between you and God. When you're watching an R-rated movie and that sex scene comes on and there's nudity and you know God wouldn't really want me to be watching this, but you push through it and you watch it anyway, you've put that lust of the flesh between you and God because that's not God's will for your life. The Bible says a little wine can be good for you, but when you drink to excess and you get drunk, that, satis- that lust of the flesh and satisfying that desire, you're putting that before God. Are you starting to get the picture? It comes to really this. What's the motivation? What's the motivation? John's not saying that you can't have those things, and he's not saying that you can't enjoy them. He's not saying that you can't be proud of where you are in life and your career and whatnot. But it's about the motivation and the discipline to not put the satisfaction of those desires ahead of what God's will is for you. And as I was thinking of these three traps, I thought, you know what? What makes this so hard? What makes it so hard is it's really personal, isn't it? It's really personal. Sometimes other people can see these three things in you before you do. You know, they might see that you as a person, as a Christian, it's weird. She acts on every impulse that she sees, and Meg goes out and just buys everything she sees. Or Greg, when he's looking at the infomercials, he buys everything, right? I'm not saying, I just had to say that. (laughs) But they might see that in you. They might see that you've got this destructive habit personally, and you're feeding it as a Christian instead of on top of it. They might see how you treat other people with arrogance and your pride of life because your position in life, you just treat people wrong. When I, lived in Calif- when I lived in California, I did residential sales. So I did security system sales to, to people in homes, in these high-end homes, Anaheim Hills and Huntington Beach, these really big areas. And I would go to some of these homes, and as I drove up to these huge houses, I'd see the luxury cars in the driveway, the Beamer, the Lexus, the Mercedes, and I'd go in these massive homes, and you'd go in, and they would have the big screen TV with the couch, and the rest of the rooms are empty. They had no furniture. They just had to get a security system because of the price of the house. But they couldn't afford it. They were living past their means. And you would see the stress in their marriage. You would see the stress in their life because they could feel the emptiness of the world system. And they were chasing their tails. They often compensated their emptiness with rudeness and arrogance, chasing their lusts and their desires for significance in this world system. When my wife Karen quit her job to raise our kids and to homeschools, you know, homeschool the kids, we would go to places, engagements, or whatever, and, and, and meet people. And it got to be a joke between us that within the first 10 minutes, the question would come, so Karen, what do you do for work? And she'd say, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I'm homeschooling our kids. Oh, oh, that, good for you. Good for you. And they drop her like a hot potato. Move on. (laughs) Go to the next person. Because by the world system and by their pride of life, she didn't measure up. That's how the world works. But sometimes these three little things, what makes them so difficult is they're our little secret. You can be a pastor at a pulpit preaching on a Sunday and have a problem with pornography. 
You can have a habit in your life that has no purpose being in your life, but you can be feeding it on the side, satisfying that lust of the flesh, and nobody knows, right? The hardest part of this bombshell that John dropped on us, right, is that it's, you're the only person that knows besides God. And what John's asking you to do is to be honest with yourself and to measure yourself to see, how much do I actually love the world system? Because John goes on to write, and he writes this, he says, the world and its desires, they all pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's true. True, you guys. Everything in this world is going to disappear and go away. So what's really important to you? Doing the will of God. And then he adds some urgency. He says this. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many, and many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. You see, as far as John and the disciples were concerned, there was no more prophecy about Jesus except he's coming back. And we just don't know when. John saw people coming into the church, and he saw people leaving the church. And what he was saying is, look, they couldn't leave the world system. They couldn't have someone else in the captain's chair of their life, which is what Christ demands of us, right? And explains to them that while we read in the Bible that the Antichrist is coming, you're going to meet him in your daily walk. You're going to meet all the people in the world system who are going to tell you how to live. They're going to tell you what they expect of you. But then he encourages them. He says this. He says, you, you have an anointing from God, and all of you know the truth. And the anointing that you received from him is in you, and it's going to stay there. All you have to do is ask him. So you guys, it's no different for us today than it was for John when he wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. The appeals of the world have the same strategy. Satan has one playbook. He just plays from it different ways. Just new technology, you know, some sophisticated marketing, advertising that's laden with guilt, and it's designed to be fast. It's designed to hit you, telling that you have to decide now, you have to act now, you have to get on board or you're going to miss it. Do this or you might die, you know? As Karen and I were talking about this over the past couple of weeks and during our quiet time, she made the comment, you know, it's really all about the journey, isn't it? It's about the journey, what we do every day. And it is, it's true. But sometimes you might be sitting there going, you know, I'm trying to do the Christian thing, but what's it all about? What's it all about? Why should I stop and evaluate my life and see if I'm on track? The hardest part of doing all this is admitting if we're off track. If we've chosen to allow our pride and our desire to satisfy our lust to get between us and God, then it's going to require you and I to admit it and then to commit to change going forward. Because let's face it, sin's fun. Sin is fun. But you can't be friends with the world and God at the same time. You just can't. You've got to pick one. The world tells you that you deserve everything and not to deny yourself, right? But it doesn't have your best interest in mind either. So what's your end game? What's your end game? Why do you do what you do? And why should we heed John's warning? I imagine John getting to this point in his letter and stopping, walking around going, you know what? I told him. I told him Jesus is the light. I told him about Jesus And I told them that they shouldn't love the world system. 
But why? What's the end game? Why? How do I tell them why they shouldn't do this stuff? And imagine him then going, got it, got it. And he writes this. He says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. That's the end game. That's the end game, you guys. That's the reason that you do this. I guarantee you, every single one of us, when we stand in front of God, you're not going to have an ounce of energy in you to argue your point. You're going to stand in front of God and how magnificent he is and you're going to be so overwhelmed, your little argument about how good of a person you were won't matter one bit. But John says, you can stand in front of him confident and unashamed. That's the reason that we do it. That's the end game. That's the reason that you'll stop and pray about a decision when you find yourself rushing towards making it. That's the reason that you'll resist that temptation to look lustfully at a member of the opposite sex. That's the reason that you're going to make a conscious decision about that habit in your life or that thing that you do, and you're going to put a lid on it once and for all and walk away from it and not come back. That's the reason that we'll step back and let somebody else have the glory instead of having it all focused on us and our pride. That's the reason that you'll stand up and fight the enemy, and that's the reason that you'll strive every day to do a little bit better, to live a life that brings God glory. And that's the reason that we'll stand up for God against the ways of the world. Because one day when he appears, we want to stand confidently and unashamed before him. Chris, do you mind coming up? And the best news about this is that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And all you have to do is ask him every day when you wake up, Holy Spirit, guide me. Some people call it a conscience. When you're doing something and you hear it in your conscience, that little voice saying, eh, It's the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you want to call it your conscience. That's the Holy Spirit guiding your conscience, however you look at it. That little voice, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, when you hear that little voice, that's the Holy Spirit. And ask for it in the morning. Go, oh, man, I don't want to succumb to these lusts. So here's my closing. What's one thing in your life where you've allowed something from the world system to get between you and God? Grandpa John dropped a heavy one on us. But he also encouraged us. So where I started, I want to end, because where he started this, I want to just read it to you again, then we'll close. I'm writing to you, dear children, you guys, 2023. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and, and John wrote this letter and he, and he penned your words because it's really you speaking to us, God. It's your, your encouragement to us that we're, we, we walk in power every day. We walk in your anointing and the Holy Spirit, you live in each one of us. 
And as we handle your word this morning, Lord, we don't want to just gloss over and go, yeah, that was cool, and walk on. No, Lord, we want to let it penetrate our souls. We want to let it penetrate our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you walk with us this week? Would you point out these three categories when we cross that line and help us to have victory over it? I know that you're gentle, you're a gentleman, and you would just point out to us where we've crossed that line. Give us that power that we need this week to overcome the world system. Let us participate in it. Let us enjoy the things that you've created, God, the things that are here, the things that are meant for us to enjoy. But, Lord, don't allow them to come between us and you. Help us to be able to keep our focus on you, God. Put you first. Come to you with asking for wisdom for decisions. And when we do struggle, Lord, we, we, we know that we can come to you. We can confess it. And you're just to forgive us. And we move on, and we just try better next time. So we ask for that, Lord. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that we would have victory this week. And when we fail, because we will, Lord, thank you that you'll pick us back up and put us on the right track. Help us to glorify you, because we want to stand confident and unashamed when we meet you face to face. So, Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory for our time this morning. We thank you. If you'd like prayer this morning, we... Love to have you up here and pray. If you want to leave something at the altar that you walked in with, this is the place to leave it. So go enjoy the summer day. Love you guys. Have a great week.